0: If you have the same vision as International Horse College, which is to have a world where people safely appreciate, respect and enjoy their horses, and the horses appreciate, respect and enjoy their people, then have a look at their website, internationalhorsecollege.com, registered training organisation 31352. Our guest today is Jenny Carroll. She's been in the horse industry for a lifetime. She graduated in one of the very first horse management programs in Australia, back in the days when people didn't think you needed to have any sort of formal education if you wanted to work with horses. Thankfully, those attitudes have changed and the industry now sees the value in technical knowledge and hands-on skills in their employees. She's worked in breeding, performance horse stables, and then moved into vocational education, where she was training full and part-time students as well as apprentice jockeys. For the past 10 years or so, Jenny's been a consultant and worked on national competencies for horse care, animal care, racing and performance horse sectors. And she's also been involved with Equestrian Australia and the Youth Dressage Development Coordinator and Dressage High Point coordinator. How are you, Jenny? That's a bit of a handful, a bit of a mouthful. (laughs) Well, thanks,
1: (laughs) Glynis. Good, good. It's been a bit of a mixed career.
0: Well, that's right. But, you know, I think you've sort of gone in a path where you've been directed, where you've seen that the industry has changed so much since you've been in it and you've gone in the direction where your skills have been needed.
1: Oh, thank you. That's nice of you to say that. Yes, I don't suppose I ever imagined that the horse industry would take me to so many... Different and interesting
0: sectors, really. I think the development of the horse industry, you know, over the time that you've been in it. And going back a bit further, because you've already done that research, that's what I want to talk to you about today, you know, the development of welfare and just horse care, horse welfare. I think that's changed quite a lot and I think that'll be interesting to talk to you because you've had a fair bit to do with that, done that research. But let's start off with a favourite quote. Jenny, have you got one today?
1: I decided that probably Franz Moringa's book title, you know, horses are meant to be horses or made to be horses. So I think that's a really good credo for everyone to think about when they're handling and working with horses. It's all very well for the things we want to do and the time frames we want to work in them, but understanding the nature of horses has a huge impact on their comfort in what they're doing and our welfare as well, I suppose, in one way. Yeah, I think a lot of really top horsemanship Absolutely takes that into account.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think that's good. Now, that particular book, was it that you saw the book and you thought, yep, and really thought about what that meant or did someone say it to you and you worked it out from there?
1: Oh, no, I remember when the book was launched mm. thinking, yes, what a wonderful title. Mm. And I suppose in some ways France was one of the first people in Australia with a formal education in equitation pursuits, mm-hmm. equestrian activity that started to present a systematic approach to training in Australia.
0: Yep, yep.
1: And so, yes, to be able to read his book and understand a bit more of his philosophy and his education. Okay. Really yeah. significant. Tell me
0: about when you first started with horses, Jenny, and what your first memories were.
1: Okay. So our family had no experience with horses. Um, I was grew up in suburbia in Sydney, but my mother told me that from probably the age I could talk, I was – interested in horses and I knew which vacant lot in the district had the horses in it As before that even arrived really so my first you know riding opportunities were lead rain pony and things like that at the local show or somewhere we often had a little circus that would come to our school sort of once every two years or so and you know that was desperate to get in there just to see the ponies really <laughs> and then I was very lucky I was given the opportunity to have some lessons at a riding school outside Penrith in New South Wales and the proprietors, Philippa and Tony Bork, became very good friends and my first formal riding coach and my employer uh, eventually. And so that went from weekend lessons to helping with the trail rides, taking out the rides, helping at shows and gym karnas and, um, uh, yes, all sorts of other things.
0: So when you used to go around the neighbourhood see if you could find any horses or had pony rides, did you always know that you were going to work with horses or was this something, a decision that you made?
1: Yeah, not at all. And, in fact, it was probably a bit the other way. That was my hobby. I wasn't particularly interested in working with horses as a career initially, mm-hmm. but I did eventually find my way there and I've had a fantastic time.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Lots of different things. Mm.
0: Okay. And so for people who do want to work with horses – What sort of core skills or character traits do you think they need to commence in the horse industry?
1: I think character traits are probably more important than personal skills per Mm -hmm. se. Yep. People have to understand and accept that this is a lifestyle really and that horses need to be fed and cared for every day, no matter how sick, tired, hungry, bored you are, frustrated even. So somebody who's prepared to commit to being observant and then by that, you know, checking the horse's needs and making sure the water buckets are full and those sort of basic things can make a really top employee.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: it's not necessarily the person with the best talent as a rider that's critical to a stable in many ways. It's the reliability that the horses are well cared for. People have noticed injuries, swellings, the horses off its feet, it's lame, all of those little things that I hear over and over again with other riders, you know, so mm, if only mm. I could find a good, sta- a stable staff.
0: Yep. So, yeah, yep. if
1: you're enthusiastic, you can learn the other stuff as far as yep. I'm
0: concerned. Yep. So just going back to your, um, you know, where you were having lessons outside Penrith, was that the first job you had with horses? Uh,
1: yes, and that was, of course, originally, as most of us started, Yep. earning my free rides, really. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I was only young, you know, yep. 13, yep, 14. Yep. Yep. Okay. My first full-time employment was at a thoroughbred stud in South Australia. Okay. And I did a season there and then went back to some equestrian stables and that was quite a mixed job with setting up a saddlery in the middle of it, but we showed horses in breed classes as well as breaking in and standing stallions Uh and stuff. So pretty involved. A bit
0: of a mixed, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. What do you think is the best thing about working in the horse industry?
1: Well – there is that very strange psychic income from people who enjoy horses just being around them, the variation in the work and the rewards for seeing progress and improvement in the way a horse goes, even on the ground teaching a young foal to lead and things like that, and you get a bit of thrill from realising that you helped to initiate that and make that happen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, What's that. How's that for an answer?
0: Yeah, no, that's good. That's good. You said earlier on about Transmaringa. Did you cause you, you know, did you have lessons with him? Did you have anything to do with no. him? No.
1: Although he was around when I was first riding, that was way beyond my skill level and mm. I didn't have my own horse. I had a my mother and a family friend bought a horse for me when I was about 15. Yep. He stayed at the riding school. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, nowhere up to that sort of calibre of even competition, you know, we went to the occasional... Pony club, Jim, or well not pony club, but Jim Carner, that the pony clubs in New South Wales used to run, and uh, used to go to lots of Jim Carners at the trotting clubs. Yep. After I sold him on, I didn't have a horse of my own for some years. So,
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. what about people who've influenced you then?
1: Well, definitely my first couple of bosses. So I forgot to mention that I did do a year's full-time employment with Leslie Dowie at Arabesque Stud that many people would remember Leslie. Sure. And she in her own right was a very well-known communicator and educator. She had a big influence on the development of competency-based training and um, education for the horse industry, particularly for farriers and apprenticeships.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm
1: And. Yes, yeah, so that was my first introduction to Arabians and the days when pe- some people thought they were crazy animals and I found them to be the most generous horses and forgiving horses I've ever dealt with and I still believe that. Mm-hmm. So the opportunities that she gave me and it was actually Leslie that encouraged me to go to Glen Ormiston to train and she was quite a good friend of Philip and Tony Borg's and again, they gave me tremendous opportunities to ride and handle horses I would never have been able to buy myself. Mm-hmm. And other people sort of on an international scale, I think some of our horsemen, particularly people like Boyd Excel's most phenomenal horseman mm. in every aspect of his manner and managing horses on the ground and things. I was lucky to see him do some demonstrations at Equitana a few mm-hmm. times and mm-hmm. tremendous. People like Ingrid Klimke for something, yes. a, a, a progression of training that's logical that also includes hacking out and every day or as much as possible. Natural is not the right word, but a less pressure cooker approach to their general well-being in Mm -hmm. training so that Mm -hmm. when you're then insistent and precise it's a reasonable request of the horse to do that
0: yep yep what about horses have you got a particular horse you think's influenced you or you've got a few or tell me you know just to do with your learning and your education has it been one horse has it been a few
1: i think it's Fair to say all of them <laughs> because of their, their responses, you know, the fearful ones, the assertive ones, the dominant ones, having to learn to handle stallions and not take them on as, on as an adversary. I think, you know, learning those skills to be insistent in what you need to do safely without trying to, you know, promote a fight that mm-hmm. you probably won't win. Mm. You know, the nature of dealing with mares with foal foot and how they behave, halfway through my career, I was Lucky we had some horses in work, we should do a lot of re schooling and re education of horses that had problems, as well as breaking in young horses. And we noticed things like some horses just didn't move very comfortably, they looked like they should move by their confirmation, mm-hmm. but they weren't. So they would often be sent to us with messages like, You know, this horse white not And you'd look at this horse and say, Well, its confirmation suggests it should, but look at it on the lunge, it just can't. Mm. So we had a very good bet. Bill Harbison in South Australia, who was also a rider and could look at things from a riding perspective as well and from a time-to-time time hop on the horse if you didn't couldn't feel what you were describing or couldn't see what you were describing. And we got some help from a massage therapist who dramatically improved one horse in particular at the time and that, again, opened my eyes to other aspects of the impact of riding and injuries and that sort of thing. So... Those horses have taught me an awful lot because I ended up training as a massage therapist as well mm-hmm. and, yes, seen some quite dramatic changes and turned around
0: mm-hmm. uh,
1: when you could make the horse comfortable. So yep. Yep. all inspiring really and makes you think, you have to keep thinking about what's going on and why did they respond in a particular way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've had my share of frustrations like every rider and sometimes <laughs> I shouldn't have. So that is part of the learning curve definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah.
0: If you're an equestrian coach or a horse riding instructor, or even if you aspire to be one, have a look at the free video series for horse riding instructors on the Horse Chats website. Go there now. Have a look. Horsechats.com. Thinking about and probably not so much, you know, individual horses that you've had challenges with, but as thinking about your whole career and to where you are now. What do you think? And, you know, even starting in one of the very first horse management programs and getting a lot of resistance then about the need of, for formal education, but just moving on a bit, you know, from there to where you are now, have you got another big challenge that you think is sort of, you know, you've gone through personally, something that might have held you back, something that even, you know, you could have had a choice to I continue working in the horse industry or not?
1: Well, a fairly personal one was I did have a back injury, not from a horse injury
0: mm-hmm. or a
1: horse riding incident, but yep. that definitely curtailed. I certainly haven't ridden for quite a while because of that. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you know, changing horses from time to time. You know, sure. I, uh, that's probably the next biggest impact. But it's strange, I suppose, because I've had a progression where I've been able to move out of a lot of hands-on stable work and that sort of thing into uh, vocational education myself.
0: But I think also, Jenny, you've had a very proactive approach to your own education, you know, that you've moved into maybe teaching but only because you had a fairly broad experience. You know, someone who says, right, I'm just going to go and become a massage therapist, not because I want it as a career possibly but because I want it for the extra information, you know. If you're proactive and you don't just think, okay, well, I've trained now, I've got a qualification, I'm, you know, I'm it. It's the continual training and the continual qualifications and the taking up on continually different opportunities and putting yourself out there. It means that you can step into a broader range of positions within the horse industry. Does it make sense?
1: Yeah, yeah. Yes. Gladys, I couldn't agree more, really. I think, you know, we know now that's a lifelong career of learning, Mm. lifelong learning, Mm. and if you have an open mind, you can pick the eyes out of lots of different perspectives and training methods and things you may never be interested in. Mm -hmm. For instance, Boyd XL, he's known for his driving skills, of course, but, you know, he's a fantastic horseman with any horse on the ground, Mm. and he was a very accomplished rider. So Mm -hmm. why do I watch him? Well, I love the way he handles his horses and his attention to detail, even watching him drive four in hand, you can learn a lot about yes. timing and feel and all that. So, I guess from that point of view, from my education, I've been a bit, I have been a bit, you know, of that. You know, I want to know that and I need to go and learn about it to have an informed opinion. Mm-hmm. Not mm-hmm. everyone has that luxury to do that at the scale I have, I suppose. Mm. I think we've got marvelous opportunities now to find access to information and to training techniques and methods and all sorts of other things. And that, that when I was a kid, you know, you didn't even know where to find somebody who was a good rider. Yeah. If you had no access to the network, you couldn't find that.
0: Yep, yep. And I want to take you back even further. Let's talk about job opportunities and horse welfare. How far back can you go? Even a couple of hundred years ago? 150 years ago? Let's go back 150. Yeah.
1: yeah. I, I did a little bit of research recently for the Equitation Science Conference and, uh, what we were trying to look at was the changes in management of horses over the last two hundred years. So, mm-hmm. of course, it was up until even the late nineteen seventies that horses mainly arrived in Australia by ship. So that in itself was quite gobsmacking when you think of the time frames to get horses to Australia. You know, sometimes they were on the boat for six weeks, six to twelve weeks. The, the management of horses from that point of view alone. You know, our Olympic teams used to go overseas, and they're renowned for. The fact that they got straw out and laid it on the top deck and started lunging and riding horses around to maintain their fitness on the yes. way to the game.
0: Yeah. I, I was um, going to say, because even the yeah. first horses that came over brought the Nagura Burr with them, which, you know, it's a nuisance. But imagine having horses for that six to eight week journey and not even brushing a bit of burr out of their mane.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, and yeah, yeah you know, overseas people don't understand our quarantine laws. Particularly mm. well, mm. Mm. <laughs> and you know, we had the dreadful experience in two thousand and seven of uh, equine influenza brought yep. in by horses via Japan. Mm-hmm. Now, before that, that was one good thing about them coming by ship was that often if the horses had some mm. disease by the yep. time they got to Australia, they had got past the contagious stage. Yes, and that did help our quarantine laws.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, so, what do you think the the main things? Because you've said you know welfare and even even 10 years ago, 20 years ago, to welfare now. What changes have you seen?
1: Well, I think there's definitely that change from people with a predominantly farming background, mm-hmm. being the majority of horse owners and competitors, say. I think that's changed dramatically in the last 20 years. And so there's often people, you know, have never had any sort of animal in their lives and suddenly want to ride and own their own horses. That's a big, steep learning curve. It's not mm. impossible, mm. but uh, a lot of things to learn. In performance horses in the last ten to twenty years, yeah, there's a much more intense management and focus on joint health and the. I don't want to say pharmacological, but the veterinary management of mm-hmm. horses yep. for high high level horses is definitely much more intense. There's mm-hmm. a lot more monitoring. You know, the even the technology that's available means that we have access to scintigraphy and MRIs and things yep. like that. Whereas before, you know, X-ray was as far as you could go. Yeah. And that's been critical in the management of long-term management of horses, definitely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Tomography cameras, those sort of things, Yeah, really interesting and useful tools.
0: What do you think about this is public perception? You know, now that there's a lot more, you know, we talk about social media, the availability for cameras, someone could just pull a video out, pull a camera out, take a photo of something they don't like. The public outcry, is that, is that a good thing, a bad thing, you know, if something is a little wrong? Is it, is it the public not having knowledge or is the public more aware and making horse people, horse trainers more accountable for what they're actually doing?
1: I think we should be, have to justify our management practices mm-hmm. and our training regimes and the amount of competition the horses go in and what they're doing. But there is that double-edged sword with that. But it's very easy to make a comment and a judgment, well, not a comment, a judgment mm. on something that's seen via a photo or a video. Yep. And when you consider most cameras now, it's very common to have, you know, 10 to 20 frames a second. Mm. You know, a photo can, can give a misleading uh, representation of what's going on too. That's not fair. I know certainly the last trip I took young riders to Germany and we went to a Leading German riders' stables, and she doesn't even allow visitors in when they're training anymore
0: okay for her yep. for
1: her Olympic level horses, Yep. because that's become so sensitive mm-hmm. we could go, we were allowed to take photos in under certain circumstances, but not of her leading horses. Mm-hmm. not that she was doing anything that I disagreed with, but she she cannot take the risk anymore of the misrepresentation of information, yep. I think that's very sad mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. A lot, of, a lot of the judgments that are made are made by people who really have no context. They see one photo. Yeah. They don't know what's gone on before or after, who that person is, and I'm certainly not justifying cruelty or bad behaviour, but those judgments then don't necessarily help anyone. Mm. And, yeah. But, on the other hand, we do have to, absolutely, if we are not prepared to justify our training methods and our management techniques Exposure by animal welfare groups that don't want people to interact with animals. They're extremely slick organisations and they uh, know how to manipulate language and we won't get a chance to be on the front foot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that's really important. Mm-hmm.
0: What can people do then to stop being misrepresentative by the media?
1: Yes, that's a good question. Well, <laughs> for a start, I think our governing bodies have to be proactive about that, mm-hmm. and in that, that means the And uh, if I put on my stewards hat now, we have a much more public presence of stewards at dressage competitions around Australia now. Yep, and that's already makes a difference to the way people behave. Now, it shouldn't. But as you remember at the conference, we talked about some of the natural behaviours of people and the comfort levels. If they think everybody else is doing this, I can do it too. Even if they're not doing it, there's a change in behaviour of what they think it's acceptable to do. So just the fact that we have stewards in a vest that's clearly identifiable and it works both ways. We can prevent something going wrong or mm. we can help a rider by, mm-hmm. you know, saying, look, you know, just a minute, I'll just ask those people to move away and give you a bit more space. I can remind them about the directions of travel in the arena before an accident happens. Um, yeah, I was going to say, so that, yeah,
0: it's that education, you know, is there more yeah. education required? Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
1: So the proactive behaviour is education. Mm-hmm. Uh, making sure people are ready for competition is also a factor. So, again, in dressage, we now run a lot of protocol days where you're working with the judges to understand what's required and so you get some practices without the stress of a full competition. And I think some of those sort of tactics can help prepare people better so that when they come out, they're going to have a less stressful day and so is their horse. Yep. I think also people seeing positive training methods and having the opportunity to watch professionals train Mm -hmm. is also important because... Because the professional doesn't bring their horse to the competition until they know they are absolutely ready. Other riders can think that their horse always goes like clockwork and mm-hmm. never puts a foot wrong and that yeah. their horse was broken in and went step one, two, three and here we are. And yeah. That's not right. They've put mm-hmm. in a lot of hours of work to get that horse to that level. So therefore some riders get frustrated, frightened, distressed, you know, it's not happening, what's going on. And sometimes just because they've never been exposed to it. They've never seen what's a reasonable progressive level of Mm -hmm. training and education. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that means people like Ingrid when she puts up her videos and David O'Connor and other people showing different techniques and methods and this is how I approach this particular task. That's really helpful and I suppose that's one of the wonderful advantages we have of social media and uh, access to videos and things like that in the
0: current times yes yes for sure for sure oh wait before you go if you're an equestrian coach or a horse riding instructor or even if you aspire to be one have a look at the free video series for horse riding instructors on the horse chats website go there now have a look horsechats.com have you got a book that you can recommend to complement people's education their training
1: personal level to start with and so yeah. the first book that was recommended to me many years ago was old henry when equitation so that was written in i think the 1920s and the photographs in that were so useful in what the picture should look like and it was a classic because he had lots of old hunting pictures because that was also around the time of caprelli being accepted as a so a forward seat in a jumping yes. position yep so he's got lots of hunting pictures in that book of you know people hanging onto the end of the reins and leaning as far back as possible over massive jumps. So as much as the, the progression of training that he talked about, that was the first formal book I ever saw. But, again, the German handbook on training is wonderful, I think, as a, as a progressive method of training and the types of gear you need, the exercises you do. And because I'm a visual person as well, uh, Harry Bolt's book on the dressage horse, which is nearly all photographs, but same thing for me to see the image and to see from above what he's doing in his two track work, just marvellous. Much better idea. But yeah, if you came to my library I could pull any book out and (laughs) find something interesting to say about it. I've got lots and lots of books. Yeah. From lots of aspects too, not just from dressage. Yeah. You know, could be from Western training, could be from endurance sport. All sorts of other things.
0: But, but I think that again, Jenny, is a reflection of you having an open mind, you know, and saying, yeah. I just want to learn a bit more. I just want to learn what the Western people do to get this result. Learn how the harness people handle their horses. Learn, mm. you know, it's it, being open and being just looking for other opportunities, isn't it? You know, opportunities yeah. to learn. Yeah. 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 And I've
1: been lucky in recent times, we've done some work with Georgia Bruce and so understanding positive reinforcement training yep. techniques yep. like clicker training. thats yep. well, We've had some remarkable results with that. Yes. Yeah.
0: So, yeah.
1: yep, there's still plenty to learn out there. <laughs> All
0: right. Now, what are you looking forward to? What does your future hold? I'm hoping I might be able to get on a horse soon. That would be nice. <laughs> Is that because of your back problem? Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. Um, I was going
0: to say your non-horse associated back problem. We shouldn't yeah, that's that. That's correct. Yes, yeah. thank
1: you for that yep. clarification. Yep. Yeah. Otherwise, in general terms, I would really love to see more collaboration between our leading riders and some of the research that's being done now. I think we need to look at some collaborations with an altruistic goal. We're going to improve the lot of horses and we're going to improve the longevity of our horses in competition. You know, you personally don't want to go to compete, Don't care. That's that's good. That's fine. You can enjoy your horse and just have it standing in the paddock so long as it's well cared for. Mm. But performance horses, I think, are going to be constantly in people's eye because of the perceptions of sport and whether that's an acceptable thing to be doing with horses. Mm -hmm. So I would love to see more collaboration. Yep. And I think really the motivators for that are things like, is that a better way? Can I do it in no more time or less time than it takes me now? Is the horse more reliable and easier to manage? Mm -hmm. But I think also if you think about things that technology has helped us with and research has helped us with. So, for instance, of course, one of the main restraints we've all used in the past has been a twitch. Mm. Now, once the research came out that said that actually, for whatever reason, grabbing a piece of skin or putting a twitch on, applying a twitch, actually stimulates a release of endorphins, and that's why the horse relaxes a little bit and stands still, It's not because they think they're going to lose that piece of skin. Well, that made me even put the twitch on faster than I would have in the past. Mm -hmm. So therefore, the horse gets less distressed and worried and anxious about something that's critical that they must stand still for. Mm -hmm. And I think we have to start thinking along those lines. What advantages could we get? What can we learn from the research? And although with positive reinforcement now, we don't use the twitch very much at all, in fact, just having the confidence that what you're doing is not to the detriment of the horse, I think that's important and I'm sure there's lots of things we can learn. Mm, mm. And that collaboration between science and the horse riders and owners, yeah, I think that would be wonderful. That would be something I'm looking forward to.
0: Yeah, good, good. And what about people contacting Eugenie? How can they do that?
1: Oh well I've been a bit slack. I haven't got a website but I will soon. So probably via emails probably still the easiest thing to do. And Facebook, over Facebook page, Jen Carroll. J E N C A Okay,
0: and we'll uh, we'll put those details up on horse chats. So it'll be horsechats.com dot com slash we'll go Jennifer Carroll or just search Jenny on horsechats.com, dot com and you should be able to find her from there. And that Carol's got C-A-R-R-O-L-L, is that correct? That's right. Yep. Cool. All right then, Jenny, thank you very much for talking to us today. Um, We can all look forward to that and more collaboration. I think that'll be... you know, everyone will be looking forward to that and hopefully we'll get you back another time to talk about some progress in that area.
1: Oh, thanks, Glynis. <laughs> yes, I, I really hope we can get some books. You know, yes. I'm sure writers out there have got questions and they'd like some answers too. And There's plenty of topics we could investigate.
0: For sure. So, for sure. yeah,
1: thank you for the opportunity.
0: Thank you. Bye-bye.
1: Okay, bye.
0: If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate and subscribe.